We've got another episode free of any coronavirus talk for you today, all recorded before any of this came down. So uh, enjoy the lack of coronavirus. Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. And today we'll be talking with Bill Cates of Referral Coach International about focusing on marketing to people that really need your product. Bill Cates is a referral marketing expert at Referral Coach International, where he helps uh, professionals and businesses multiply their best clients through more compelling messaging, referrals, and personal introductions. Inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame in 2010, I got to watch stumbling through this now knowing that. Uh, Bill is highly sought after speaker, consultant, author, who has uh, delivered his business growth message on five continents. He's also a returning guest here on the If You Market podcast, I think episode number 23 back in 2018. So we took a year off here. Um, we spoke with Bill about why more of your business should be referrals. Today, we're going to kind of pick up at that point as it is, um, talking a bit about his new book, Radical Relevance, I think it is, right, Bill? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And uh, kind of the step after you get that referral, um, the, the next step in, in closing that business and, right. and how to market yourself out uh, effectively to, to companies in general. So Bill, it's been a while. Um, can you give us a quick refresher on what your company does? Maybe a little bit about your book and, and what your, uh, what your day-to-day is there? Yeah, sure. So uh, for 25 years, we've been focused on helping businesses essentially increase their revenue without increasing their marketing budget. And that's by leveraging their happy clients or customers, right? It's, it's uh, when you have customers or clients that you love, love you, and you get referrals, introductions to others like them, it's a, uh, it doesn't cost anything and it's a great way to build your business. So we've been doing that for 25 years and we'll get into the topic of my new book. And uh, like you said, it does take kind of the next step because you've been introduced. That's great. That'll, Take you so far, but then you need to talk about your value in a way that's going to keep those people interested and pull them into your world. Uh, gosh, we do consulting and we have online training and speeches, so lots of different ways we serve our clients. Uh, and I'm excited about the new book because, you know, one thing I've learned is that we have to continually stay relevant for our clients. Well, guess what? This is my way to be relevant with my clients is to write a book on relevance. Excellent. Yeah, you do a lot of speaking, a lot of a lot of thinking on these these topics. I guess yep. if um, the general, extremely simple, and then we can just call it a wrap and a podcast over. Message on this one is uh, <laughs> make make sure making sure you're relevant to to people. They actually need the product you're selling. It, it's actually yeah. something useful for them that they're going to want. Is kind of important in the sales and marketing business. Well, it is, and you know, sometimes we what we think is relevant. Uh, isn't relevant at all. And and one of the, the principles in the book is give your clients or customers a seat at the table, meaning before you develop new products or services, before you develop messaging for your website or a mailer or whatever you might do, make sure you talk to some of your key clients. Make sure you talk to even some key prospects, people that maybe haven't bought from you yet, but you've developed a decent relationship with them. And always get their input, always get the, the you know, ways that they would express that value and talk about it because you're going to learn all kinds of words and phrases and ways to talk about what you do that's going to be more relevant to people like them. Using their I mean, language. Yeah. I mean, we know our clients well, people listening to this podcast, they know their clients well. There's no question about it. And there's things we don't always know. There's context they have that we don't have. And so we should never do anything in a vacuum. Sometimes you think you know and then you go and you start surveying clients and you start doing more market research and you find out that the industry shifted in a way you didn't, you didn't um, foresee. We had a, a guest on recently, uh, I believe he wrote a book called Never Go With Your Gut. And the message there was, you know, your instincts, uh, and he was saying really with your gut, just snap decisions. But mm-hmm. even when you talk about your calibrated uh, instincts and your experience in the industry, if, if you fall a little bit out of touch and you think you know, you're going to push everything in the wrong direction and maybe you were off. Maybe you were off by a little bit. Maybe you were off by a lot. I think it's how some of these big entrenched companies end up going out of business because they're just 
there's they say they're the experts, so they don't need to do the research. They don't they know what's going on. They know what people want. They know the industry. Turns out it shifts a little bit, and they're in big trouble. And actually, in a B two B world, uh, it's it's not only do we have to know where our clients and prospects are, we have to know where the industry's going. In fact, a lot of our clients and customers expect us to be able to look into the future a little bit because you know they get reports, they talk to their colleagues, but sometimes they rely on us to give them a sense of what's coming. And so uh, we not only have to be relevant now, we have to be thinking about how are, how are we going to be relevant six months, a year from now? How are we going to help our clients and customers remain relevant for their clients and customers, right? So it's a, it really is a feedback loop that should never end. So being relevant now, I guess, is chasing what people want versus predicting relevancy a year down the road or whatever kind of your cycle yeah. is. Yeah. I suppose if you, a have a, if you have a three-year yeah. sales cycle, you need to be predicting much farther out than that. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's a pretty long sales cycle, but or how about shortening that first? And then um, uh, so that you're not um, maybe setting your product for what people need now, but by the time the close is coming around, it's changed. You know, it's a, move, well, it's a moving target. Yeah, that's the difference between being an industry leader and an industry follower. And look, it depends on the business. There's no question that a lot of folks, I'm sure listening now, can just see what's happening in the market and react with a product, with a service, and do very well. I'm not saying that we can or shouldn't do that. And if we're thinking in terms of this idea of relevance and remaining relevant and, and, and separating ourselves from our competition, then you know having that element of looking into the future uh, is, is very important. Right. Okay. So I want to let you kind of guide the conversation here. My thought coming mm -hmm. in when we're talking mm -hmm. about relevancy, one of my favorite things to tell people, um, on our sales team is and new interviewees as well as don't sell snow to Eskimos. Um, that's not, and I thought that was kind of the direction we were going to go hundred percent here. I'm starting to realize there's a lot more to this than what I had in mind when mm -hmm. you're talking mm -hmm. about being relevant and, um, you know, focusing on marketing on, on, on the right people. I was thinking all about targeting. You're going before even you're targeting, before just targeting the right people back, it seems like, to market research, to advisory boards, that kind of stuff. How much of that are, are we getting into with this? With, it's yeah, so Radical yeah, we, Relevance, the book on the shelf behind you. I, <laughs> constant reminder, that's good. Where's my copy? I, I got, out I, then. Hold on, here it is. Here it is. I got to hold go. my own copy up, right? So... Yeah. There, I, there, so in the book, we divide the book into four sections, and I think that'll help with this. Uh, first of all, there are certain principles at play, uh, truths, if you will, about marketing and uh, going to market with products and services that that's kind of the highest level. And, and underneath the principles uh, are the strategies. And we want to have the right strategies. So I have a section called strategic relevance. And things like that are, are picking the right target market or and if you have more than one target market to make sure that you don't try to come, uh, you know, with a message that will appeal to two or three markets at the same time, because then it appeals to no market. Right. Divide up our messaging around that. And then uh, and then the uh, the bullseye in the market, which is the ideal client. We we're using the term right fit client or right fit customer mm -hmm. uh, because that's that's ultimately what we want to get. You know, some marketers use the term persona, sometimes avatar but it's just really knowing very clearly who we're trying to serve and what problems they face and opportunities they face uh, and, uh, and getting narrow. So then from there, we then get to tactical relevance. And so when you're bringing your message, then what does that look like? What's the medium going to be? Is it going to be email? How do you write the email? All the tactical aspects, uh, designing your website, your LinkedIn profile that go into that. And then the last section is, See, we want to be relevant to capture people's attention, right? However, we're putting our message out there, whatever the medium is, we need to capture their attention. And we know that they're inundated by a gazillion marketing messages. But once we have their attention, we have to move them along, don't we? We have to help them make the decision. We have to stay relevant. And then we have to become compelling. So the last chapter is all about how do we move people to take action, some principles of influence, if you will. That, so that's, that's really what the book encompasses. Excellent. So everything from the marketing basics that this seems like a great book for kind of uh, entry level marketers to, to cover everything from those very basics up through 
what marketing is more and more responsible for now, the close of the deal, they still have uh, some the hands in. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's definitely great for, for new folks and it'll be like a primer for them. And, and experienced folks, you know, it'll be fine tuning, just like anybody mm-hmm. who has experience, you read a book like that, you, you fine tune, you, you know, you, you learn some things you hadn't thought of or maybe presented in a slightly different way. Fantastic. So you tell me, are we talking or what do you want to focus on here most? Yep. I, I don't want to, do you want to focus most on the targeting aspect um, of, of being relevant or on the kind of the product and um, the, the re- product research and pre-marketing even aspect of being relevant? Well, he, here's something over I, that. Yeah. Here's something I'd like to talk about that. I think anybody in any size business uh, and since I know your focus is on B2B folks, it's usually a little larger than some of the podcasts I'm on. And so in any situation, you're going you're to have an organization that has to buy in. You want them to buy in to the values, to the mission, to the vision, right? And one of the things we know is that that's not always easy, right? The leadership team has worked very hard on this, maybe has gotten feedback from some of the, some of the employees, if you will. But getting everyone on the team to buy into that, the values and mission and vision is not an easy thing. And one of the mistakes I think that a lot of businesses make uh, is thinking that the value proposition, our, my business, your business value proposition, is the elevator pitch. It's the short way to say, here's what we do. But that's not the way I see it. I believe the value proposition for any business is the sum total of how the business shows up in the market how the business shows up for prospects, for clients, customers, strategic alliance, suppliers, everybody. And what we want is we want everybody in that business to be in tune with that mm-hmm. so that when they're out talking with customers, prospects, with each other, and they, you know, they got to be in tune with that. So one of the exercises I recommend for any business is to, to go through the entire client or customer journey. In other words, from the minute you meet someone, be it online, be it on the phone, in person, whatever that initial impression is, and throughout, and the onboarding price process, how you onboard them into the, into the work that you do, and, and how you stay in touch with them over time. Have everyone in the firm get in touch with all the points of value, all the questions you ask, all the things you teach, the information you provide, responsive service, and look at all those points of value. And what that does is, first of all, the organization as a whole, everyone gets, gets even more excited about what they do because they see all the different points of value and they didn't realize that this division does this and this unit does this. So are you saying things like it's not just the features that salespeople might focus on, but the size of the company? You might say, hey, we're, we're a good-sized company in our industry and other companies, they may be in danger of, um, you know, of going out of business and leaving these people hanging. You know, if they're, if you're going to go with a CRM company, you don't want a two person company because you're going to invest all this in this product. And then you're going to be left when, when they disappear, you're going to be left out there with no support, with nothing. Is it that kind of thing? Like the, the distribution, like, Hey, we have this distribution set up so that mm-hmm. we, you know, it's Amazon being able to deliver faster. Right. So, um, so yeah. So what you're getting to is kind of the next step. In other words, well, well the third step, if you will. Oh, sorry. So the first step is gap. No, that's all right. Great minds always think always think ahead of mine. It's not a problem. So the first thing is getting just crystal clear. Everybody in the firm knows this is all the different stuff we do. And then back to what I was talking about before, we go to our customers, our clients, and we say, here's how we perceive the value we bring to you, to the market. How do you perceive it? What would you mm-hmm. add? What would you say differently? And so we're getting their feedback, which is so important. And then from there, that now we can start to craft our messaging. Now we can start to talk about all the different things that we offer, all the features and benefits and the differentiating factors, uh, but not until we do a little bit of that homework. Otherwise, we're just kind of riffing a little bit. We're just kind of, well, right. we know this and we know to do that. But so you're figuring out what real value you're bringing rather than assuming you bring certain value and then assuming there's a target audience for that and you might have that foundational what's your actual value wrong. So you might be thinking you're, you're pitching properly, everything's working properly, yep. but you've got some yep. misconceptions in what your product's actually bringing to these, these people. Yeah, and just think about it. everyone we're trying to bring our message to, as we mentioned, inundated by messages, uh, other companies trying to pursue their business for, in whatever way. 
And if we're not like spot on relevant, if we're not saying really the right thing at the right time in the right way, then they will miss it. They will ignore it. And mm-hmm. so we, we really can't afford to, for guesswork here. We really can afford to be off a little bit. It's, it's like, you know, shooting a rocket to the moon or Mars. If they're off a, uh, you know, a, a millimeter here, they'll be off, a, you know, a hundred light years up there. So, uh, we've got to be on to, and, and look, this is, it's, it's not a perfect science and, and you can't right. always do for sure, but we just do our work to that. And by the way, if I can add one quick thing, anyone in, in senior leadership listening to this, you can take the same principles in, in the book and attach it to the internal workings of your organization, meaning everyone in your organization needs to know who they serve, who their perfect client is. And it may not be a customer. It may be someone internally, right? right. How to talk about their value, right? How do we talk about, you know, I serve the technology team. I serve the sales team who wants to do this. And so all the formulas in the book actually work internally. And so what really what you're doing is building a more relevant organization, not just to the outside, but internally as well. Oh, interesting. So your employees that don't, they're not customer facing employees. They still have a customer. It's just somebody within your company that they need to be serving. (laughs) Yeah. They need to know their internal customer and they also need to know how their work impacts the external customer. Right. If, if they don't have an, you know, uh, uh, they can't see the attachment to that external customer Sometimes it's hard for them to get a little more excited about the work, but when they Mm -hmm. see if they make a mistake here or they excel here, how not only their internal customer benefits, but how the external customer benefits and then the company benefits, which is good for them, then they usually get more excited about the work that they're doing. Sometimes they need to see that bigger picture and not all companies will do that. Okay. So you were, you were talking about value prop versus elevator pitch. I don't think we quite finished that. Um, Can you, can you tell me what makes them different? Why are those different things? Yeah. So the way I see it is the value prop is all this work we've done to learn about all the value that we bring, get our customers involved, figure it out. And then from there, all these features and all the benefits of those features and all the places we deliver value and all the different places that were a little different from the competition or maybe even unique from the competition, that becomes the short phrases. That, that's the fuel or the, or the content for the short phrases the elevator pitch, if you will. I I like to call it uh, a a value proposition statement because only because, you know, the way elevator pitches have been taught for so long, I find sometimes they're overly cute uh, and we don't want to be overly cute because then we can be overly confusing and then then, then we're irrelevant. So would it uh, be accurate to say the value prop is kind of all of your tools? It's your toolbox full of tools And in the yep. elevator pitch, you're really picking out one or two tools for the specific job. Exactly. The- and for the specific market, because you might have multiple markets or you right. have multiple right fit clients within a specific market. So yeah. You pull <laughs> so the value prop wouldn't really fit in an elevator pitch because it's going to take you two hours to go through it. You've, at least. At least. And <laughs> you've got 20 seconds. You've got one tool to pick. And you know um, what? We all know salespeople that approach us with that. They give mm-hmm. us everything, whether it's relevant to us or not. Uh, so. <laughs> they they vomit up a value proposition on a on a cold call, yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay, I I think I I get that. I get the uh, the value prop elevator pitch. You're saying mm-hmm. nail down the value prop so you know all the different things you can reach into and use um, when when conveying the value of your product. Um, what's uh what what do we what's next after that? Well, so so one of the things that 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 helps us with was is the the proverbial question: What makes us different? what makes us unique, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of companies struggle with that. Um, not all, but a lot do. And unfortunately, a lot of companies find uh, things that are different or unique about them that don't really matter to the prospect. So one of my principles in the book is different, only differences that matter, matter. And what I mean right. by that is it's got to matter to the prospect. It's got to matter to the client. And we've got to make sure we take that feature that, different, what makes us a little different than the other company and tie it to a specific benefit. So I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my clients, a commercial banking operation up in New England and all they work is commercial. So it's pure B2B and they had uh, 19 unique set, what they called unique selling propositions. In other words, 19, 19 things they believe that make them unique. That's a long now, elevator ride. Yeah. Well, and certainly you don't talk about them. I and it was mostly for internal purposes. And you're right, it is a long elevator ride. But, 
and I looked at that list and I said, all right, first of all, only about seven or eight of these are actually things that other banks can't say or very few other banks can say. So, uh, so they were confusing the, things that are good about them with things that are unique. Exactly. So let's get, take those out. It's hard to be unique, but yeah. it isn't hard to be a little different. And one way, by the way, to find this out is to talk to your, your clients or customers to find, to find out how they perceive you being a little different, a little unique. But then out of the seven remaining, I only found about three of them that actually tied to a specific benefit. So for instance, they said, you know, we, we only operate with, you know, commercial lending. All right. We look around in New England and, and there's a couple, but very few. Mm-hmm. So then they could say, you know, a lot of banks do commercial lending, but only a few specialize in commercial lending. And so therefore, and you got to always add that. So therefore, what's the benefit in the fact that you specialize? Right. Help, help show them why that matters, kind of. Why it matters. You can't assume that they're going to matter. One of their unique selling propositions was they've been in business 127 years. Right. The client might say, so what? <laughs> Everyone's so going to say, so yeah. what? Right. And, and uh, younger folks might say, all right, stodgy. They don't have a <laughs> digital platform. Forget them. Older folks might say, okay, I like it. They're solid. Right. They've been in business. So with the younger folks, that, that means you're grabbing the wrong tool there. You need to know in your elevator pitch to the younger folks, as, with that as an example, saying how long you've been, that's just a waste of, of breath kind of because it's actually going to turn them off more unless than Unless it's going to matter to them. Right. Unless, unless you find a way that's going to matter. And if it's not going to matter to them, then you don't use that one. I had them go through the entire list again and they did an exercise and came back to me and some of those are in the book, by the way, some of the work that they did where they started actually tying them to specific benefits. And it made a huge difference for them because they're now talking about their value in a more effective way that people, it's resonating with people now. I feel like the executives frequently, they have an idea of what they invested in for mm-hmm. what's important. And so they want that to be what's talked about all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the things they thought were really important, the customers or a lot of the customers don't really care about. So they're guiding the messaging in this direction that their, their audience doesn't really care. And that, that's what they're feeding the salespeople. Here's the message right. to pitch. And they're like, hey, the people who need to buy from us, don't, you know, they don't care about those features or that aspect of the company that you think is so important. That's right. And, and sometimes it's just an emotional attachment to a product or service or a message. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes the salespeople, because they are kind of on the front lines, uh, are, are a great resource for knowing how we really should message the value. And sometimes even the customer service reps are good, but not mm-hmm. always. We can't assume. That, that's why we talk to our clients and customers about this. And it's, right. a, it's a conversation to figure out what is the best way. That's interesting. I mean, going reaching out to the customers is difficult because they have to, you have to entice them to actually respond and talk to you about your market research stuff, which is not their, you know, it's not what they want to be spending time doing, but your own employees who are interacting with these same customers might have a lot of the same insights and they're kind of a, you could say captive audience because you're paying them already to, this is their job to give you this feedback. Yeah, and I would say that that you're right. Most customers, you know, maybe can't be bothered, but and it depends on the business and the kind of relationships you develop with customers. But every business, you, I, everybody, we should all have at least some key clients, key customers, people we've stayed in touch with a long time. They kind of have a vested interest in our success. We become business friends, right? All of that. Every business should have some of those folks. And these are the people that'd be happy to be on your advisory team. They'd be happy to to do this exercise with you because I know in the long run, it'll help you serve them better as well. Right. So what do you think about these, uh, you know, on the phone sometimes and it says, Hey, stay on the line after, if you'd like to do a survey, I always feel like those surveys are kind of almost worthless because it's a self-selecting crowd of people who feel like staying on the line afterward. Like if you take those and, and guide your product or any aspect of your customer service with them, I don't know. It always seems kind of sketchy to me. Yeah. You know, they're, well, first of all, they, they may be getting feedback on that particular rep. So if they know which customers tie to the reps uh, and they know if they have, you know, a, a, a telemarketer or a customer service rep uh, and they get a lot of negatives and they know they got an issue they got to deal with. You can kind uh, of know if right. the person stays on the line after you don't even have to listen to it. It's bad. 
<laughs> not always. I no, I've had some great experiences. Well, mm. well, I decide I'm going to stay on the line mm. and reward that person because they were so efficient and and friendly and did a great job. So here's what we know. One thing I've I've studied some of this in you know, over the years that uh, surveys are sent out in the mail and via email. Generally speaking, it's not always the case, but generally speaking, they tend to be skewed towards the positive. You would think otherwise, but actually not. People who've had a bad experience, sometimes it's like they don't even want to deal with it. Right. Some will, of course. It's very easy to ignore and move on. It, it is, exactly. It depends on how vested you are in that relationship or how offended you felt. Um, so I think you need to do a mix. I think that it needs a, finding mixes of, of, of getting feedback. And, and so one of those is what people will tell you in person or on the phone. Uh, and of course, sometimes they'll say things on a, on a, you know, an email that they won't do in person. It's got to be a mix of that. Right. So you get a feel for stuff. And, and what we're talking about here isn't so much of, you know, how did, how do we handle this event? It's more like, tell us about how our value is being perceived so we can message our value better for other people. Um, I, I want to take a, a quick break. I think we wrapped up the value prop elevator pitch issue pretty well there. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've got a note here on the neuroscience of, of pitching and on uh, narrowing your message and targeting and that kind of stuff. I really want to dig in for the second half of the show. Um, whatever right. you want to talk about, of course, but I'd love to get more into this targeting aspect of uh, focusing your marketing on the people who really need your product. Great. All right. Thanks, Bill. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. That's the first half. We're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to the If You Market podcast. We have Bill Cates. Am I saying your last name right, Bill? Yeah, we wish it was Bill Gates, don't we? But I missed it by one letter. <laughs> I'll just slur it a little bit, pretend it's uh, still New Year's here. We got Bill Cates. He's a referral coach marketing expert over at Referral Coach International, and we'll be right back. This is Jason Rockman, president of Definition 6. We are a mid-sized technology and content agency. We help organizations move through digital and content transformations. We develop over 3 billion emails a year. We create over 2,500 pieces of content per month and burn about 10,000 hours of development each month as well. If anybody needs any help across technology or content to drive their business forward and help it grow, they can reach us directly at definition6.com and that is definition6.com. Thanks. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. I have Bill Cates here of Referral Coach International. Again, we're talking about what I like to call uh, don't sell snow to Eskimos. Uh, the second half here, we're going to be focusing on the uh, the targeting of the messaging and, and kind of the tactical, I guess, and moving the close aspects of the four things you listed earlier in the conversation, Bill. Um, getting back to the, the don't sell snow to Eskimos uh, seems to be a bit it's it's loosely related to what we're talking to, I think, when it comes to the the targeting part of it. But then mm -hmm. there's a lot of other uh, aspects to that. I remember training salespeople and telling them that the most important decision they make every day um, is when to stop reaching out to somebody. Basically, mm -hmm. even if they are within your target, when to walk away and say, "There's nothing here. I'm not, mm -hmm. not, nothing's going to happen. They're not going to mm -hmm. respond." Wherever mm -hmm. you're at in in the process, you can't pursue every lead forever or you'll just end up pursuing a bunch of empty bags yeah yeah i it, it's it's always uh, uh something to consider and i'll tell you my perspective on this if it's going to depend on every business but if you're talking about big fish you're talking about whales if you will mammoth hunting whatever you want to call it uh people you have a uh, uh you know you can help them uh i almost never give up mm. um and you have to be careful, obviously, because you don't want to waste a lot of time and psychic energy in people that, that aren't interested. Uh, but it doesn't mean you can't keep finding ways to be even more relevant and you follow them and you study them. So with the big ones, you may never give up. You just find different ways to get to know more about them and drip value on them over time until the timing is right. I'd say different uh, contexts too. I mean, sometimes you might give yes. up on a specific person in the company. Exactly. They, they just hate you for some reason, but there's other people <laughs> you can approach. 
yeah, guess what? Not everyone's going to like us, right? Yep. Uh, you're absolutely right. You come at, at different angles, and that's where the referral process can come in very handy. Because um, if you know other people in other organizations, they may know different contacts in that large organizations. With smaller uh, fish, for me particularly, uh, I do I do go for a no. Meaning, if yeah. I have someone that I think was interested, they seem to be interested, and then they kind of go radio silent. Uh, I'll I'll attempt to to get them to acknowledge that they have lost interest. I, I do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, sometimes they haven't lost interest. Sometimes there's just stuff going on in their world and we don't know it. And small companies like can be really busy with other stuff. Yeah. And I've no, I've done this. I've had, uh, you know, and we're a pretty small company here. Um, I'll have emails sitting in my inbox. I'm interested in, and I keep getting another one and another one. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm going to get to that. Good. The person's still reaching out to me. So I don't bother to respond. Um, and then you find out they can, they can never reach back again and it's gone. Or, you know, sometimes they say, Hey, are you really interested? I'm going to go away. And then I, Oh no, no, don't go away. I am interested. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I've said, I get the feeling that, you know, we're probably not a good match for you right now yep. and that's fine. Now I, 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 I've, I've written this in blog posts in the past. Uh, sometimes I'll have fun with this. Now, you know, if you don't have a sense of humor, don't use this particular strategy, but, um, I, I do, I guess I'm playful and I what if you know your of, client doesn't have a sense of humor? Well, <laughs> then you got to be careful, right? If you know, they don't have a sense of humor, then you don't use this one. And, but I'll send, I'll send fun ones, you know, please answer the, you know, please check the box that applies to you. And I'll go, I just got back from a desert Island and, you know, give me a couple of days where I got called up by the, you know, by the, uh, New York giants to play, you know, halfback next week, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 whatever. And then, uh, then you can say, no, I'm really interested, but we've been very busy. I, you know, please reach out again or no, you're right. It's not a good match. And, and I'll tell you, I always get a response from those always, always a hundred percent. They respond back and they like, you know, I like the clever. I would person. add one thing. If you already know the person, if you're sending cold email cadences, oh, don't, not with cold emails. Yeah. No, that, I see no, people doing that all the time. They're breaking up with me on a cold email cadence or asking what happened. They haven't heard back on a cold email cadence. And no. they're taking practices that are used for people you already have contact with. And they're creating this long cold email. And to me, well, it's yeah, just kind using, of annoying. Yeah, sub, they're using subject lines to make it look like they, we know yeah. each other. And I'm thinking, all right, do I know this person, right? I open it up and I realize it's just, I mean, how many times, Sky, how many times have everyone gotten the email that says, you know, I didn't hear back from my last email to, to you? We I'm sure know, I've got multiple in my inbox since we started talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just yeah. put those, I just block those people forever. Now, the um, people I know that send that, though. That's different. Then it's relevant. I say, oh, yeah, I didn't respond to that. I'm sorry. And, and I get back to them. Yeah. Well, and see, this is where relevance comes in, right? Because, you know, you're talking about cold emails. Um, if you're sending out cold emails, first of all, it really is going to be a numbers game because there's no way your messaging is going to be relevant to everybody and strike them in the right way. So if you're doing a cold email campaign, uh, what I do recommend is segment, 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 meaning you may have, you know, businesses that are this size and businesses that are this size and businesses that are this size. Okay. Make sure each one gets a different email or yeah. one may be in one industry and one may in the other. Don't, don't create broad messages that are supposed to appeal. you know, hopefully will appeal to something. The titles you're pursuing, a combination of title, title All level and company size. And that's um, what I mean by radical relevance. Yeah. So if you have, if you're targeting an industry, but you're targeting different people within the industry, segment the list. So each one should get a different kind of message because guess what? Each one perceives the problems they have differently. And each one is being effective themselves internally by the problem differently. And the mistake that most people make, even some experienced marketers make is they try to come with a, a wide message that'll cover, you know, a lot of different types of folks. Right. Doesn't cover anybody well enough to get people to respond. They say, we've got 10,000 people we want to send this message to. Um, we don't want to send an, a unique message to every single person that takes too much time and energy. So they just create one general blanket and send it to everybody, which means it's good for nobody. And that, that yeah. all goes into how you build your list and how you acquire the information. And so for instance, we know that the more information you ask for in like an opt-in form, uh, the less likely they're going to fill it out. 
But if some of that information is critical for you creating the exact right message for them, you're better off getting fewer, but the right ones. Right. Right. Yeah. So you have to decide a list of uh, that's smaller, but the right people is better than a big list if you don't know who they are. And then what you can also do in stair steps, let's say you get their name and email address, and that's all you ask for the first time. And then you send them whatever your lead magnet is, right? Then you can reach back out to them with something else of value. And on that one, you already know their name. You already have their email address. You can ask them one or two more questions. And you can slowly over time segment your list so well that each message to each person is, is, is about as exact as you can get it you know, without being one-to-one -one marketing. It's interesting. This is reminding me a bit of political advertising. It seems exactly. like we're That's talking what they do. about finding yeah. out what the single issue is for people when it comes to buying in your product. Because a Micro lot of people will be a single issue purchaser. So if you can find out over time and narrow down to, oh, this guy cares about the color of the application. Um, really important, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, but you can find out what's important to them and send them the messaging about that or with that product or product line or, or whatever it is versus you know, said vomiting just your whole value proposition it, out. It, to it, it, radical relevance starts with really uh, a relentless passion for not only serving people well, but knowing who you're serving them well, uh, knowing who you're serving well, I should say. And so, and it takes extra commitment. It takes extra time. It, it's, it's, but in today's world with a way to collect data and, and be able to analyze that data, uh, you know, it, it, the, the opportunities are tremendous in terms of how we can grow target. And, yeah. You're getting into my world now when it comes to how you, it's the, the good and evil side of data collection. People collect data, say, this is really going to help us um, provide more relevant content to you, but that's not always how it's used. Um, so there's, there is kind of two sides to how much information you collect on somebody. Sure. And I would sure. say, you know, make, there's really great returns if when you collect information on people to mm -hmm. help target what's relevant to them. So instead of right. sending them a hundred messages and hoping one's the right one, you can send them a couple and one's going to be the right one. That's exactly. kind of the good use of uh, data depth and collecting information on people. Absolutely. That's good. It really does provide a better experience when you actually do that thing is that's why you say you're gathering the data. <laughs> right. And, and, and improve it and show it, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so the, yeah, single issue buyer, figuring out what their single issue is and, and sending that message, segmenting, targeting down within the, your, your list. I think account-based marketing has been huge. Um, that's not going away because it's a real thing with real value. I think right now we're just starting 2020 when we're recording this and uh, the customer and focusing on the customer is going to be huge this year and for I think for the next couple of years. That, yeah, that is always, the movement right now in B2B. Always. Yeah, we've gotten away for a handful of years with MarTech. MarTech exploded so much that I feel like the focus was all on the technology and the features and, and, and whatnot. And now it's maturing to a point where the customer is going to start winning because these the companies, these MarTechs are all competing with each other for, for the customer's attention. You know, it's commoditized a bit. It's no longer, you don't have all these unique value propositions anymore. So you have to actually go back and say, what does the customer want? Do everything you're talking about here. That's it. <laughs> it's you good know, for the it, customer. It doesn't mean you can't have multiple targets. It doesn't mean you can't, can't have multiple bullseyes, but you better know what they are. Right. Uh, Not just one big bullseye, multiple little exactly. bullseyes. Exactly. And go after each one appropriately. So something I'd mentioned, and we haven't got to it yet, but before the half, the neuroscience of pitching. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Uh, a bit. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I guess I wouldn't call it the neuroscience of pitching, but, uh, makes it, it sound cool for the audience. though. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it, that's good. Neuroscience of pitching and relevance. And so, so there's a lot in the chapter, but let me give you a couple quick things. Uh, first of all, once, and, and it hurt my brain just studying this stuff, but I had three science advisors helping me figure it all out and, and reviewing what I wrote to make sure it was, it was, uh, you know, accurate. And so one thing we know about the brain we've learned, is that about six times a second, it's scanning the environment. Am I safe? Where am I? Am I safe? Where am I? Am I safe? Another way to say is, should I pay attention to this? Is this relevant or irrelevant, right? Is it a threat or not? And then three times a second, the brain is going, is there an opportunity here? The brain loves opportunity. The brain loves to take action. 
but only if it feels safe. And so no wonder most of the good marketers will lead any kind of marketing with, we understand your problem, right? We have empathy for your situation. We know it's a challenge for this or it's a challenge for that. We first identify that we know that their, their problem or problems. And then we start to talk about the opportunity. And it's more effective when we do that. Knowing how the brain works will actually help us adjust how we talk about things. If you just go after people to show them the opportunity, and you're not always displaying the empathy that you need to display for their challenges that they're facing first. So that's mm-hmm. one, one way brain science helps. Another one. I feel like you is, sound like a con man if you're coming after with a big opportunity pitch and the, the back of the person's mind is saying like, there's something about this guy. I don't feel safe. <laughs> I don't trust what's going on here. He's just he's selling me this big bill of goods. Yeah. And, and, and there's an art to writing this in ways that doesn't sound phony or or corny or, you know, it, it, it's not easy to, you know, we have very sophisticated customers and in the B2B world, you know, you can't always get away with some of the cute stuff you can in B2C. And, and so it, it's, it's quite an art to be able to write copy in a way that's going to convey this, that's real, that's realistic. Um, but there's, there's another part of, the, of neuroscience I want to cover real quick. And essentially what it says is that if, if you're, if how you convey your message is a little complicated or confusing, if your website is a little confusing to navigate, if any part of how you show up in a prospect's world is a little confusing or complicated, the brain will immediately leap to the thought or the feeling that dealing with you is complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing. The brain doesn't like complication. The brain The brain's job is to keep the organism alive. The brain's job is to make sure that fewer calories are spent. And so it likes simplicity and it likes. We're having this single pitch kind of helps, right? The single uh, issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to, you don't want to pitch or promote too many different things. Uh, No more than three for sure. And sometimes Mm -hmm. singular is the best way. Absolutely. And then look at your website, look at the buying experience, look at the, the way people get information from you. If there's any, you know, bottlenecks there, then you're losing tons of people. And they're just automatically, even unconsciously saying, no, they are too complicated to do business with. I will find someone who really gets me and is easy to do business with. And I know how to do business with them. Right. That's funny. It reminds me, uh, again, going back to sales training days of, uh, I'd always tell people you've got six seconds to get their interest in the beginning. If you are confusing them. The worst thing you can do also like with email copy, confusing is the worst thing you can be. If yep. people are confused, confused like yep. how long you think they're going to stick around confused with what, what it is you're talking about and why they're even listening to you. And you've got about six seconds. So some salespeople like to start out and it's like they're warming things up for a while. And to me, if you're talking to a decision maker after that first six seconds, all they're looking for is a hang up point. If you haven't already got their interest. Right. Um, so we always say you have to give them that one point of relevance in that first six seconds. Here's why and what I'm here. I, what I suggest, I would, one of the things I suggest, especially if it's a one-to-one email or a phone call is that do research, do research on the company, do research on the individual and lead with something that you know or suspect about them. Hmm. You know, I read yeah. recently that your company did this, or I know that a lot of folks in the industry have this challenge. Is that true? Right. Let them know you've done your homework because if you come out generically, if you don't personalize it to that individual and or their specific company, then you will lose them very quickly, especially the higher up the ladder that you go in the company. That's interesting. I guess I almost always want to start with the, here's the one action point. Here's what, like, here's why I'm reaching out and what I'm going to do for you. Um, But I suppose you get the same effect or the same positive effect with what you were just mentioning, which is kind of a here's proof that I'm a real person with a real message. That's not canned. Uh, right. That's the <laughs> first step. That's and what we like, got to oh, do now. Yeah. You know you're who right I am. In, oh, okay. Yeah. Let me re- continue reading. Right. You're right. And your thinking is that you do want to get, this is what I think I can help. Here's where I want yeah. to, but in today's world, right? Because there's so much, so much robot email and voicemail and there are so many people who don't know who they're talking to. I right. think the first step is to display a human. Or if they're talking to a human. 
Literally, you're like, how many times are you talking to a bot when somebody reaches out to you on LinkedIn or something? I'll, like that? I'll tell you that one thing I learned is that the most powerful concept in marketing is empathy. Hmm. People want to know that we have a sense of who they are. And if we display, we have a sense of who we are, even by saying we, you know, our expertise is in working with companies in your industry, in the manufacturing of bottle glass industry, whatever it is, just, just that specific saying, we have a sense of your world that will grab people's attention and will earn the right to the next few seconds. So I'm going to look at my LinkedIn right now. Cause so to what you're talking about, if people write me a message on LinkedIn, they want to connect and they say, Hey, I saw this post that you did on this or whatever it is, I will almost always connect with them before I even finish reading whatever message. If they try to connect with me and they don't say anything except for, Hey, let's connect. You're, you're gone. Or here's one that's really uh, common these days. I enjoy connecting with like-minded individuals like yourself that are really, and then dot, 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 you got to click see more. I'm not clicking see more there. You've shown me this is, Either you did a really bad job and wrote a message that seems like it's a bot or a canned message, or it actually is. Either way, yeah. there's the no copy and paste. You the had that first six seconds of text to convince me that I should. Right. This isn't right. just something you sent out to a hundred thousand people. Um, exactly. Not yeah, yeah, not relevant, not specific to me. But the brain's going yeah. relevant, yeah. irrelevant, relevant, irrelevant. Do I pay attention? No, no. I'm busy. I'm busy. No, no, no. Oh. Yep. You work with a company like my, you work with my competition. All right. I'll tell me what you did with them. Right. Or the other side, the one I use a lot is if the message said, I send, I'm sending this out to everybody, but we have this thing that you need. And I actually needed that. Then I'm responding. I've had people send me cold messages before and I call them back immediately saying, okay, tell me more. You can do this. But at know, least we, they're honest, right? <laughs> yeah, they have a product. They're just coming right out and saying, here's what our product can do. Do you need that? And I'm looking at it saying, yes, I do. You targeted the right person. You got right. it to me. You were very direct. I can see what you do. We are looking for that right now. I'm, I'm responding. Um, so I'd say, yeah, one of those two, two approaches um, versus the, this canned, I enjoy connecting with like-minded individuals message. Um, it's, it's lazy is what it is. It, it, it's, you know, people feel like they don't have the time to do a little bit of, just a little bit of research. But the fact of the matter is they're wasting their time by not doing that. So yeah. I would rather send out 100, you know, one-to-one -one emails that take me a little more time than 200 generic emails. I'm going to yeah. get a much better response. And I would tell, I mean, we're a data company. So of course we want people to have a lot of data. Uh, selling 100 emails doesn't do us a lot of good over here. But right. um, I would tell people to experiment. You know, if you have pressure to send out a larger campaign, send it, but also send 10 handcrafted emails or a hundred or whatever it is that you can do and see if you're getting better results from the same amount of time to less people, that's better marketing. Right. Cause that's why I teach referrals and personal introductions from advocates and champions, right? That's always a uh, time better spent. That's, that's just cheating though, Bill. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I like getting that. referrals. That's cheating. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, this has been um, great, Sky. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Any last things you want to uh, you want to kind of drill down on or, or throw out at people here? Um, yeah. I, I mean, if you don't mind, number one, I'd like to tell folks that that if they get the book, uh, Radical Relevance, uh, in the book at the beginning, a few pages, you get an opportunity to actually register the book. And we have an incredible toolkit. We call it the Radical Relevance Toolkit that allows you to, to look at, you know, take the book and even go a lot deeper. Uh, different reports and guides and, and checklists and things. So, uh, you know, I'd be remiss not to mention that. And I guess if, if it's an overall summary of what we've talked about, is just err on the side of going narrower, err on the side of going more focused, err on the side of, if, of being more targeted than less targeted. That's all. And, uh, and, and that one perspective of how can we be more targeted with this? How can we segment this list and be more effective with each message? That's, that's kind of the, the mantra here is how do we become more targeted with this so our messaging becomes more effective and we actually get through to people and, and get them to raise their hand and say, tell me more. Air on the side of more narrow targeting. I love that. That is a, that's a great message. And then uh, get good at it, I, I guess, and make sure you're targeting the right people. Um, yep. It's been fantastic, Bill. So we've got... Um, Again, Bill Katz here.
referral coach Gates? international. Kate's, Kate's, yeah, sorry. Gates, <laughs> Kate's, whatever. I knew I was going to get it wrong eventually here. Um, <laughs> The website, of course, you can go to fumarket.com and see the show notes on this, but uh, his website is referralcoach.com, uh, really easy there. And then uh, referralcoach.com slash resources. He's got a lot of free resources up there. Um, you also have a blog up there. You can subscribe to his blog, YouTube channel, a lot of great content that, uh, that Bill's putting out all the time. And then the new book, of course, Radical Relevance, Sharpen Your Marketing Message and Cut Through the Noise. Um, great uh, to get there. I'm sure amazon.com probably just yep. about anywhere uh, yep. they want. You can, uh, you can find that. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on bill on behalf of the, if you market team and myself and uh, Carla Joe Helms and bill Cates of referral coach international. Thank you all for listening to the, if you market podcast where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. <laughs> Fantastic bill. Thanks. Is your data company ignoring and gouging you or gouging and ignoring you? Those are the main reasons our customers move from the previous list provider, Mountaintop Data's Top Data Search platform. What's Top Data Search? Well, with Top Data Search, you can search our database of 20 million plus business contacts and download lists with complete contact information. It's a convenient tool for both sales and marketing departments to get accurate lists. It's free to have an account. There's no annual contracts, no seat fees, Top Data Search is just easy access to accurate data. And when you reach out to us with questions, we actually give you answers. Visit topdatasearch.com and sign up for a free account with the coupon code IYM300 and get 300 free credits. Or if you're just curious, go to topdatasearch.com and run some searches on our open search tool, no account needed, by clicking the search now button. That's at topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.